ups and downs, but it makes no sense to me to watch lots of times the wicked prosper and the good people suffer. Why do you help certain people but neglect to help others? Um, a while ago, my mom was actually hit by a car while running, and that kind of started getting me questioning, you know, why can a pro football player get a touchdown and thank God for it, but God can't stop a man from running my mom down on the side of the road? So when I first moved to Hawaii, I had 40 bucks to my name, no job, no place to live. Um, you know, lived on the beach for a little while, and uh, this couple, Leilani and Joseph, took me into their home, let me live with them, they gave me a job, and just <clears throat> some of the most beautiful people in the world, so, so kind, so giving, and they've been trying for, you know, about a year and a half to have a child, and she just had a miscarriage, mm -hmm. and it just makes no sense to me that people that clearly, you know, would be such, you know, they give so much love and deserve so much to have a child, like how, how can you take that away from them? Um, it makes me angry. Uh, to be completely honest, it makes me very, very angry that um, only some people get the assistance that they actually need, uh, which makes me question the reality of God. Um, is God really only helping a select few people and, and neglecting the rest of us? Oh, goodness. You know, why would, why would you put us here in the first place? You know, why are you going to put a bunch of humans on a planet and you know leave us to our own destruction. This life is stressful and it's painful and I'm very weary. I don't know um, you know why life has taken such a toll on me. My question is why did my uh, my stepdad have to die? My adopted father, why? I was a star athlete, he was part of my mm -hmm. team, he was always a coach. My dad died, uh, my first game after he died I uh, got on base, um, took my lead off, look over at third, my dad wasn't there. I just sat down, started crying, had my hands, you know. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't go back. I haven't played since. I even ended up dropping out of school, you know, because I wasn't an athlete anymore. I don't see any way that that made my life any better than the direction it was headed. I don't understand. Why? Explain that to me, please. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. My dad died about 10 years ago, and he was, so he was really young, and I have a lot, like, a lot of those same feelings and that yeah. same question, like, why my dad? Why? Why then? There's obviously a purpose behind everything, and you just got to deal with it when it comes. I've always imagined that he'd probably say something like, it's in my plan, which has never been, you know, a good enough answer for me. I would hope that he would tell me exactly why my mom getting hit by a car was a good experience for me to live through. You know, why my parents getting divorced and my father leaving for good was a good experience for me to live through. I, I want to know, why are you going to allow terrible things to happen to me if I'm going to devote my life to you? Those questions do make me doubt the existence of God. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want that. Oh, many questions. And there are some answers. Hey, welcome to week five of our Room for Doubt series. And moms, happy Mom's Day. We're going to talk more about that here in just a minute.
We've been working through this series, and each week I've shared with you some kind of baked-in next steps. Let's put those up on the screen again. We have a texting number. If you've got a question that you'd like us to wrestle with and you want to wrestle together, text that number, the question, 317-689-8576. If you want to be a part of a Room for Doubt group, you can text that same number. Just text the word group. If you haven't yet hit it, hit the website, roomfordoubt.com. By the way, you can still text questions even during this message, and I suspect there might be some. Some of you have been wondering, what in the world are they doing? We keep texting questions. When do we get the answers? Well, I want to give you a proactive next step with that as well. Uh, if you hit our YouTube page, so Venture has a YouTube page, just search Venture Carmel. Uh, we've been compiling these questions, and this past week we actually shot a podcast-style video. It's even indexed. You could go and skip all the way through, find your specific question that you uh, asked, and you can skip to that to get an answer as we kind of dialogue together on that. Or uh, you can just do what I do when I listen to a podcast, a workout, or do take a walk, or do something else, kind of double-tasking things, and you can listen to that kind of in the background anywhere. That's, that's there as a resource for you would encourage you to check that out. But keep texting us your questions. We would love to interact with you. All right. So the title today on Mother's Day, nonetheless, the title of the sermon is, Why Does God Allow Tragedy and Suffering? Happy Mother's Day, moms, right? Nothing says Mother's Day like, you know, suffering and uh, unthinkable tragedy, maybe pain. So when we looked at the calendar initially and realized that this was going to line up this topic with Mother's Day, I winced visually. Oh, I don't know if we can do that. But the more we thought about it, the more we thought this might be the perfect topic for Mother's Day. I mentioned it kind of in passing to my wife, Dawn, and said, hey, uh, we're thinking about doing this. And she said, you know what, you really should this really could work. And I said, I'm so glad you had that idea. So I think you should join me and be a part of the teaching on that Mother's Day. How about that? And she was like, okay. I said, I'll see you. And she said, I'll raise you. And so would you do me a favor right now? Would you welcome the mother of our five kids and my better half to the platform, Dawn Killebrew? Would you guys welcome her well? Yeah. You always have to watch what you say to a pastor. <laughs> and so happy Mother's Day to me. I get to do his job today. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody has to. Thank you. Thank you for your willingness to come and be a part of that. Can I help the with that? The first thing I have to do is figure out all the technical difficulties. There we go. That should stay just like that. All right, perfect. <laughs> all right, so can we talk about why? Why does this topic fit with Mother's Day? Well, I don't think that he has to explain it to any of the moms in the audience, right? Like, we're well aware of what suffering has to do. Like, it starts with labor, and then it moves on to staying up all night, and then it goes to this place where, like, no one from the school ever calls dad. If anyone's in trouble at school, they always call mom. We field all the principal phone calls. Like, we know what suffering is. Yeah. Yeah, I, at the same time, I feel like on behalf of my gender, I have to push back just a little bit. I was just watching the dedication <laughs> thing up here. A couple of those dads were working overtime in that moment. Did you, did you see that? <laughs> By the way, uh, moms and dads, if you have not seen the comedy routine, Nate Bartgatze 
this comedian. He has a whole routine. We watched it this past week, giggled together. Just simply Google Nate Bart Gatsy, you called the dad. And it's this whole funny routine about the school calls him, and he's like, why would you call the dad when you could call the mom? Kind of a funny routine. Listen, we recognize that Mother's Day isn't just what we see on Facebook. Moms with the matching outfits, the kids are smiling. We know that there's a whole lot more underneath Mom's Day. And we feel it. Not just the moms, right? Because we were all born to a birth mother. Here at Venture, we have a mission statement. When you walked in through these doors right over here, you saw our mission statement on display. We want to be real people, loving courageously, sharing generously, and speaking truthfully. It would be our desire we could lean in to those values here for the next few minutes. And really, the real people part, could we, would you allow us just to simply be real people together with you for a few minutes? Honestly, Mother's Day is a hard day for both of us, right? Quite honestly, truth be told, we both kind of dread Mother's Day every year. <laughs> Sounds so wrong to say. <laughs> but but yes. there's some truth yes. to it. I, so I've shared this before. My mother passed away my senior year of high school. And every year on this day, I'm reminded I can't pick up the phone and make a phone call. How about you, Dawn? Yeah, well, I mean... So first off, Mother's Day always starts for me. Stan's always gone on a Sunday. So for me, Mother's Day always starts out with our kids um, trying to make me breakfast in bed. And when and they were little, they were cute, but they were, let's face it, they were incompetent. I, I went through a string of years where it was cereal of different types, but cereal became boring. So after a while, it was like, what could we add to the cereal for mom? to make Mother's Day like really exciting for her. Like we could put all kinds of things in this cereal. And so that's the pain that I usually started Mother's Day with was trying to choke down the cereal that my kids made me in the morning. And didn't one year, didn't they bring it to you like in a strainer? Yeah, Micah brought it to me in a salad spinner once yeah. and the milk had spilled all over. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Oh, but you know, we joke about that. But really for me, Mother's Day is painful. I typically will sit um, down on Mother's Day and a lot of times most churches do this baby dedication and it just, the tears just flow for me. Um, because if any of you have ever talked to Stan or I and you ask us how many kids we have, you just said it when you introduced me, you say five. We have five kids, but there's always a little bit of a catch in this mom's heart because, um, gosh, rather than sitting down there and cry, I'm going to sit up here and cry today. Um, because in my heart, we have six kids. In our hearts, we have six children. Um, we started out as young parents um, on a journey of foster care, and we picked up our very first foster daughter. Um, she was less than a day old uh, when she came home to us. When they handed her to us, they said, you know, this, um, this child's probably will, her case will probably go to adoption. Um, and we operated under that assumption, and we, we did like every foster parent that I've ever met does. You pour your life into them, you protect them, and you do everything you can to keep them safe, and you love them as your own, and you just integrate them into your family. Um, and then we got a phone call after she had been our house for uh, quite a while and uh, integrated and was safe and developing well. Uh, we got a phone call that two days later she was going to go um, to her biological mom. And, um, you know, at that, at that moment, 
the love didn't stop, mm. the, um, but the protection had to stop. We were no longer able mm. to protect um, a, a child of our hearts and not just not able to protect her, but um, we, we had no choice but to release her um, to a, a family where we, she was in no way protected. And, um, you know, our, our hands became tied and yeah. um, we were no longer able to do the things that our parents' hearts felt that we should do for her. And so when it comes to Mother's Day, there's always this bittersweet, there's this joy because I've got these tremendous kids who, uh, you know, mothering them is the well, most important th thing Three I'll of the five do. are tremendous. Well, some of them are okay. <laughs> we won't say names. Um, no, but, but, but it's this joy and it's this lovely thing, but there's also this, um, there's a whole in our story and in my, in particular, in my mothering story, um, I don't list my kids' names and not think of the one that um, is no longer ours to claim um, and the things that she's gone through uh, in her life because we lost our ability to protect her, so. And even the baby dedication, that's a bit of a reminder. We had kind of visualized ourselves in that moment. We yeah. were ready to adopt her and be her forever family yeah. and there's pain surrounding that and a bit of an anniversary on it, even on Mother's Day. Many of you, you heard Joy reference the white rose a bit ago. We recognize that many of you have your own stories, not just moms in the rooms, in the room, but there are men in here as well that you carry pain and you're asking the why question. Why does God allow pain, suffering, tragedy? And uh, oh my goodness, we could start listing ways. I bet you're thinking right now of your own hurt. That why question, by the way, goes back thousands of years. We could go back in the Old Testament and look at people asking God the why question. You could go to the book of Job. Job is asking God the why question. Have you read the book of Job recently? Yeah, and Job went through so much, and I, I don't know why. I don't I don't know why the side of heaven Job went through what he did, but there's a part of my story and probably a lot of your stories, and I know your story, where when things get really tough, you know where I find myself? I find myself in the book of Job. Hmm. Like I, I find myself in moments of, of deep grief, grief and um, sorrow and just tough times. I find myself opening to Job. And I'm not thankful Job had to go through what he went through or that he did go through that, but. I am thankful that it was recorded for us and that it's shared for us so that yeah. we can use that. There's some empathy. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's really helped. That book has been so helpful for me and my journey, yeah. and I know countless other people as well. Not just Job, but the writer of Psalms. He wrestles with the why question. We've been asking why, even in our recent history time period, the, the world wars, a lot of people were asking why, the Holocaust, genocides in the Soviet Union, in China, in Rwanda, maybe devastating famine in Africa, the killing fields of Cambodia, the terrorism acts that we've lived through even through our lifetime. We could go on and on and on. We're asking the question, why? Why does all of this happen if there's a loving and an all-powerful God? We ask it this way. You hear this question a lot. Why do bad things happen to so many good people? Have you and, heard that question before? Yeah, and there's a little bit of an issue with that question, I always think, because I, well, we're, it's Mother's Day, so let's talk moms. Um, you know, if anyone came and knocked on my door, 
and said, hey, I'm looking for a good person in this household. Do you have a child you can show me? Where's your good kid? I'm going to be like, you might want to knock on the neighbor's door because I've got, I have kids here and I love them and there are really good things about them, but there's not a person in this house that hasn't contributed to evil and sin in this world today. <laughs> Especially from about 18 months moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, but it, but we do, we all, we all contribute to yeah. evil in the world. Even acknowledging that there's no such thing as a good person. We're still asking the question, Why? As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, there was this national survey that went out. People basically were asked the question, what, if you could ask God one question and he would answer it, what is the one question you would ask? The one question they came back with is, why is there suffering in the world? It's our heart's cry. By the way, there's a bit of an interesting statistical uh, anomaly or quirk in that. People who were married were more likely to want to know why there's more suffering. Isn't that interesting? I, I don't think like it's a quirk necessarily. <laughs> there's probably a reason for that. If you've never asked why, I don't know if you've ever really lived. By the way, Jesus went straight at this. With his disciples, he warned them actually in John chapter 16, verse 33. Look at this emphatic language. He said, you will have suffering in this world. You will. Notice he did not say you might. He said it is going to happen. So buckle up, get ready. If you've asked me point blank, why would God allow this particular tragedy, the one we just told you about with our foster daughter Brooklyn, the only answer I can honestly give you would be four words. I do not know. I really don't know. I would even add another four words to that because I am not God. I mean, all through this series, I've been saying we don't have to run from doubt. We can run toward doubt. We can attack doubt. And I've been saying good questions have good answers. And I don't doubt because I have faith that there are good answers to this question as well. God is holding the answer. I may not know the complete answer this side of heaven. But here's another four words that I lean on with faith. God has more perspective. In the space-time continuum, he's playing 3D chess. At the end of the day, this question, at the end of the questioning, there is the word faith. Quite frankly, people who are walking through a tragedy in their life, they don't need you to step up with a theological treatise of this is why God allows pain and suffering. They don't, they're not looking for an intellectual response. Actually, we're better off, especially during that immediate season of grief, to use fewer words and to simply show more love. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and, you know, during that time when I felt like we were in probably... The, up to that point, the deepest grief that we had ever felt, I had this group of friends who came alongside me, and I think of them often um, when we talk about our vision statement, because they came alongside um, me, and they just let me be. They let me cry when I needed to cry. They grieved alongside of me. They just, they really just saw my pain. They didn't 
had they given an answer, it would have fallen short in that moment, yeah. but that's not what they did. They yeah. just did like our vision statement says. Um, it says, seek Jesus and see you, and that's what they did. They were um, people who just saw me yeah. in those moments and let me be. There's powerful ministry, simply the, the ministry of presence. By the way, when you read the book of Job, lean in on what his friends do. They're just there. They're with him. Just sat with him. They see him. They're with him. So let's talk about this topic, even within the larger context of this series, Room for Doubt. That season with the loss of Brooklyn came out, actually. It came after a season of doubt in your own life, right? Yeah. Would you want to talk about yeah. how those are connected? Um, yeah, I kind of. I kind of do. I kind of don't want to be as vulnerable as I'm about to get, so I'm going to ask for your um, grace in this moment. But um, when, when our foster daughter, Brooklyn, was taken from our home, um, um, I was angry. I was incredibly angry, and I kept asking this why question that we ask, like, why, why does this thing have to happen? Why? And... Um, and, that, and I had a lot of questions, and I had a lot of anger, and there was a, a little bit of time where I even just decided, I'm, I'm done talking to you, God. Like, I'm angry, like the teenage kid that's mad at their parent, right? Mm -hmm. But what I didn't do during that season was doubt that God had a why. And the gift in that was that I believe that that's because I had just come through a season of, dis of unbelief where... Um, I was sitting in a church service and it was during worship and I feel like what happened was God allowed me to see all of the seeds of doubt that I hadn't yet dealt with. You know, as we're Christians, we're believers, we go along in this life. Every once in a while, we, just like this service, this, this series is talking about, we have these doubts and we go like, well, what, what about this? And up to that point in my life, frankly, had been fairly simple. And my faith was very simple. And that's not to say that I wasn't um, someone who had studied. I mean, at that point in time, I had a four-year degree from a Bible college. Like, it wasn't that I just blindly believed. I just hadn't dealt with all those things. And I felt like in that moment, God allowed my eyes um, to just see all of those tiny seeds of doubt. And they just imploded on me. And in that moment, in a split second, I went from someone who had devoted her entire life. You were a pastor's wife at that point. Yeah for a while at that point. I was and the pastor. She was the wife. Right. <laughs> in that moment. Good, yeah. good to clarify. So he knows I'm about to cry and needed to give a laugh break. <laughs> um, but in that moment, I became an unbeliever. And I had dedicated my entire life to that. And in a split second, I went, no, this is wrong. All of those doubts just flooded in. But when you're an unbeliever, it's not an easy task either, right? You still have to answer questions as a non-believer. So as a, someone who's based their life on Jesus and the reality of the Bible and that God is who the Bible says he is and Jesus can do what he says he can do, all of a sudden I had all these other questions to answer. It's like, what do, you, what do you do with the person of Jesus then? And um, what do you, how, do, how did I get here? And how'd the world get here? How do you get here? all these things that I'd been researching. My doubt life. births more doubt, right? Yeah, and I, ha I had to search through those things. And at the end of that, um, I came back to a stronger faith and a stronger belief. And I think that that was something that God allowed me to go through at that point in time because had I not gone through that and then went through the season that we went through with Brooklyn, um, I, I don't know that I would have maintained my faith 
through that. So I think it was really um, a blessing of God that doubt that I set you up well for the next challenge yeah, that you were going to face. To get face. through the hard parts of yeah. life. Yeah. By the way, that wasn't easy for me either. I mean, doubt doubt births doubt. Watching your spouse go through a season of that that might give me a bit more empathy for some of you all. I know we have folks that are here today that are sitting without their spouse, or maybe you're next to your spouse, but you know that they're not walking with Jesus yet. And maybe that's your pain in mothering, too. Yeah, 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 you've got a wayward child. Um, boy, that, that gives me a little bit of empathy uh, to see you and see what you're walking through. Yeah, and your pain was um, evident during that time, but it also, um, gosh, Stan was really great in that time, and I hope for you as you walk alongside um, people who are in seasons of doubt or lifetimes of doubt, that you can walk beside the people who you're with the way that Stan walked alongside me. Because as a pastor, you know, that had to be like, he has a lot of answers for a lot of the questions that I was asking, but I wasn't asking him. Hmm. And he didn't answer the questions that I wasn't asking him. There were times when I would say, okay, all right, Mr. Believer, what do you do with this then, you know? And, and then he would answer, but um, he really, again, just saw me and let me um, kind of go through that process, and he was there when I needed him faithfully. Okay, so before Brooklyn, that season of loss, after that searching, that season of doubt, what, what did you find? I, I, I found true rest, um, you know, like a baby in arms. Hmm. Where, um, where you can just rest that whole, you know, moms, we know this, right? Sometimes there's, you can just make all the hurts go away. And um, I, I found that with God that I could really rest um, in him um, because he was real and the Bible was real and there were truths that I could 100% rely on without, um, without doubt. Um, and so we're going to talk about that this okay. morning. We're going to talk about the, um, some truths that we can all rest in as it relates to suffering this morning. So that first truth. We have four of them. We have four. Yeah. Four truths. Um, that first truth is this. Suffering doesn't start with God. God is not the creator of suffering. That's an important truth, even intellectually, to grab a hold of. We often hear the question, why didn't God just create a world where human tragedy and human suffering did not exist? Why didn't he just nerf the corners to begin with, right? Well, the simple answer to that is he actually did. He did. Genesis chapter 1, you're only 31 verses into our story when you come across this verse. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. He didn't create the world with human suffering. That got added later. So where in the world did that come from? Well, God made people in his own image. He wanted us to experience real love. Note this, though. Genuine love always involves a free choice. It always does. Yeah, and earlier I joked about not liking to eat the cereal that our kids um, made for me on Mother's Day with all those amazing add-ins. Um, but the truth is, I actually, when I think of Mother's Day, that's what I think of. That's one of my first things, and it makes us laugh every time. And, you know, you guys may not know this, but Stan's actually an amazing cook. And had Stan been home, I probably would have had a meal I was really looking forward to eating, but, but it really would have been 
Stan forced that, right? It would have been Stan got the kids up and Stan got them ready and Stan made them make this delicious meal. Um, but, but I actually, I didn't love eating that cereal, just if I've not been clear on that. <laughs> but I loved the gift because it was freely given by our kids to me on Mother's Day. They didn't have to get up and do anything. They could have laid in bed, but they, yeah. they got up and gave me that. Um, yeah, they actively chose. They took, they used their choice. Yeah. And they gave that. And, and that's, that's what God, love. that's what he wants of us, right? He yeah. could have created a bunch of robots. He didn't. Kimmy had, oh, it was, I hate clowns, but I might hate Cassie more, this doll <laughs> that my daughter had when she was little, just the spookiest clown. Remember Cassie? Uh, Cassie's the worst. <laughs> so uh, she didn't have this. It's the ugliest doll you've ever seen. Maybe you know these, these dolls where you pull the cord <laughs> and it just spits out a pre-recorded vocalization, something. Uh, that's not what God wanted of us. He did not want robots. So he created us with free will. In order for us to experience real love, God granted us free will. And we chose wrong. We still do. What did Don say a bit ago? There's no such thing as a perfect person. There's no such thing even as good people. There's two kinds of evil that leak into the world as a result of our sin. Not to get into the weeds too much on this, but moral evil is the evil that we create by immoral choices that we make. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says very clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So much of the world's suffering results from the sinful action or even inaction of ourselves and of others. Oh my goodness, people look at things like famine and say, well, why doesn't God take care of that? Did you know this? The world produces enough food for every single one of us, all seven plus billion people that live on earth, to have 3,000 calories in a meal a day. But it's, uh, it's our responsibility, right? And it's our self-centeredness that prevents people from getting fed. Think of it this way, your hand. You could use this hand to feed folks. Or you could use that same hand to pull the trigger on a gun and harm somebody. It's your choice. But it would be unfair to shoot somebody and then to blame God for the suffering that results. There's an old saying, we've seen the enemy and he is us. There's also natural evil, not just moral evil, but natural evil. The whole world was changed when sin entered into the picture. Genesis chapter 3 makes that very clear. Nature itself became corrupted. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, check this out. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It feels like that's a fitting verse for Mother's Day. But as the dude on stage, I feel like I'm supposed to just leave that yeah. alone right there. No comment from you. But when we told God to shove off, he, he honored our request, right? The whole world was cursed. Genetic breakdown happened. Disease began. Suffering and death become unavoidable because of the human experience. God didn't create evil. But he, he, he did create the potential for that to happen because of the free will that he gave us as a gift. Yeah, just, I mean, I just still think about the cereal. Why does everything revolve around the cereal? But our, our kids could have chosen to get up in the morning and fight. And, uh, and we, do, we do sometimes as, as humans, we choose the sinful way. Yeah. Um, in fact, we all do often. Um, so that brings us to our second truth. And the second truth that you're able to rest in 
is, it, the first part of it we know well, suffering is not good. Yeah. We are, we're all very clear on that, right? Suffering's not good. But God can use our suffering for good. Yeah. And he, he does. He does. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Notice that it doesn't say that God causes evil and suffering, just that he promises for good to emerge. Also notice that it doesn't say that we're going to see that immediately. There's no promise of that, even, even in this life. It might take some time for that good to be seen. Remember, we only see things dimly in this world now. There's a story at the end of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis begins with the creation narrative. It ends, oh, I would encourage you to start reading about chapter 37, the story of Joseph. He has all kinds of pain and suffering that enters into his life, some as a result of his own choice, some as a result of his circumstances. But if you look at the end of that story, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he is in this beautiful moment speaking with his brothers who have harmed him profoundly. Look at what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. God has taken my suffering and he's redeemed it and he's using it for some incredible things. But you know, in the midst of pain, it often... Um, it, it just doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel like that when we're in the midst of our pain. It's hard to see um, that there can be good that can come out of it. So in our, in our hard, hardest moments, it, um, it can be hard to, to see that or yeah. to believe that. Yeah, but look, look even to the pivotal moment of our faith. Think about the cross of Jesus Christ. This principle is there. God took, let's put that on the screen, the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, Jesus' death on the cross. God took that and he turned it into the very best thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. By the way, he does the same thing in your life. You might not get to see it this side of heaven, but he is working things together for good. God can use our suffering even to draw him closer to himself. Lean into that as an opportunity. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. Check this out. God whispers to us in our pleasures. We kind of like that. Speaks to us in our conscience. We're all for that. But he shouts in our pains. It is, our, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Don't run from the opportunities for God to speak to you even through your pain. By the way, also, God can use our suffering to draw others closer to himself. Yeah, and so we can kind of come back to that. Um, you've heard our pain in the story of Brooklyn. Um, that I'm sorry, maybe we haven't said that. Her name was Brooklyn, our foster um, daughter. But, um, but we can wrap that story up a little bit. Um, we're about 19 plus years out um, from when Brooklyn moved out of our home. And uh, we have a relationship with Brooklyn now. Brooklyn's been adopted uh, by an amazing um, mom and dad who know Jesus and who led her to Jesus. And um, she's, she's out of the unsafe uh, space that she was in. Um, and she has a, a really beautiful, amazing story um, that I know she shares. And um, that time of suffering, you you won't ever hear me say, like, oh, it's totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as 
the farther we get out from it, the more we understand about the beauty um, that has come from that story. Uh, she was adopted by that amazing couple. Um, and then we've been able to use our story so many times. Like, I, there's a piece of me that kind of wishes that these lights were down a little lower right now, because often when you're up here, it's hard to make out faces, but um, I can look into the crowd today and I can see specific people who I know that the pain that we went through um, has made me understand you a little better. And there are people who are sitting in the audience, there will be people who will watch this online today who um, there's some beauty that's come from the story in ways that I couldn't have predicted. We couldn't have known how strong we would become through that. Um, gosh, you f I feel like if you could make it through that, you could make it through just about anything in life. Um, but also, people around us have benefited. Um, God uses it. From he that. uses he pain. Has, he has redeemed it in ways that I never could have imagined. I couldn't have imagined I would be strong enough to sit on a stage and even tell you um, of the pain. But not only have we been able to do that, we've been able to use it one-on-one -on -one with people all the time. And um, I, we also know that not long after that, we picked up some other foster children who now you guys get to know because we yeah. were able to adopt four and it's almost like, gosh, we don't understand the mind of God, but is it possible that that pain and this joy could be linked? Right. Possibly. God is playing 3D chess. There's a giant puzzle that he's putting together through his space-time continuum. I'm one puzzle piece, Dawn's a puzzle piece, you're one. We can't sometimes see, even when we touch one another's lives, we don't have the perspective, we talked about that earlier, to get back far enough to see the image that God is putting together, but he's doing it. First and Corinthians. Sometimes he gives us those tiny little glimpses into the why behind the things, and even just the tiny glimpses we see can be so beautiful. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter 13 puts it this way. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then the other side of heaven's door, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. We've got two more of these. We better hit them quick. Okay. The third <laughs> truth that you can rest in is that suffering is temporary, but heaven is forever. Yeah, the day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. I look forward to that day. He calls me to have patience toward that day. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some have understood slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. By the way, let's talk about forever, can we? Our temporary suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for those who love him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says it this way, for our light and momentary troubles. By the way, Paul wrote this, <laughs> If you know the rest of the story, what's underneath that, my goodness, five different times his back was shredded by being flogged with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten to a bloody pulp by rods. The dude was shipwrecked. He was beat up. He was left for dead. He was bitten by a snake. That's what he wrote. And he says this, for uh, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
Yeah, you know, when, when we were going through um, that time of pain with, um, <laughs> with Brooklyn and we had to hand her over to an unknown future and to um, unsafe um, situations, that, that pain is still very alive and real in me and in you, and it still is a pain that when we revisit it, it feels, it feels just like that day, like that pain has not gone away. But even our deepest pains didn't ruin our entire life, and they certainly didn't ruin our entire eternity. Yeah. So that pain in the midst of all of it um, just pales in comparison. Yeah, I heard a story not long ago about a kid who was profoundly hurt, spent most of his life in the hospital, and somebody asked him about uh, his joy that he was exuding. And he said, well, God has all eternity to make it up to me. I love that perspective. We have a kid with some major mental illness. We have friends that oftentimes will say, we can't wait to see him on the other side of glory. How is God going to redeem that? To get to see who he really is. God has eternity to make it up to him. And he will. God promises a time where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 puts it this way, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Are you suffering? Hold on. Because no matter how hard life is, our pain will come to an end. So the fourth truth to rest in. Um, we have a choice. We get to choose how we react to pain and suffering. Yeah, we can decide whether we're going to turn bitter or to turn to God for his rest. We've been talking about rest through this whole thing. It's almost like we're going to get bitter or we're going to get better. better. Let's lean in to better. The back end of the verse we started with, John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's another word for the rest you're talking about. You will have suffering in this world. That was the promise. But be courageous because I've conquered the world. In the end, <laughs> in the end, he wins. So hold on. There's power in the person and the nature of Jesus. Christian philosopher Peter Kraft says it this way. I love this. God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It's the incarnation. That's a fancy word to say God came flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus is the answer to suffering. Corey Ten Boone, who suffered unspeakable horrors in a Nazi concentration camp, she wrote these words literally in the middle of that space of pain and suffering. She said, no matter how deep our darkness, he, God, is deeper still. Hear me. Jesus is there in the lowest places of our lives. So we want to end this part of the service, the message, simply by inviting him into this space, into this moment. We want to pray over you. We want to pray over the moms in the room that resonate with the symbolism of that white rose. We want to pray over the moms who are experiencing joy today. We want to pray over the men in the room that feel some of these same things as well. If you're sitting next to your mom right now, or maybe you're sitting next to a spouse that is a mom, would you just reach over and take her hand? Dawn and I are going to move over here next to this white rose, and we're going to pray for you. And as we lean into this moment of communion,
as we invite the incarnation to be very real in this space, in this moment. Would you join us? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, we know that there are moms in this space that uh, are thinking through all kinds of words, like miscarriage, maybe the word abortion, death, maybe the word loss, maybe the word pain, maybe a wayward child. Lord, I don't pretend to know the extent of some of the pain and the suffering in this space, but Lord, I do know this. I know that you know. And I know that you know what it's like to take pain on your shoulders, even on our behalf. So we lean into this moment right now and acknowledge you in that. We say thank you and we worship the feet of Jesus, even right now in this moment of communion. And it's your name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen.